Okay, there we go. That's better. That's right. Absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a few minutes to uh, at least try try in a few minutes here to share a little bit about uh, international Russian radio and television, and then we're gonna show you a show a short DVD, and then I'm gonna preach. Yeah. And and uh, I, you know this isn't gonna take all night, so you know don't worry. Um, just a little history about IRTV, and I I want you to listen to this because there's some key issues here concerning IRTV that relates probably to all of us. This is a ministry that, that started from nothing. This is a ministry that started with a young man. This is a ministry that started with a young man who had a vision, uh, who, who, who just did some very simple things in being willing to step out of the boat and obey God. And I think we can all relate to that kind of stuff. Hanu Halka was a young man who graduated uh, from high school in Vancouver, British Columbia, he grew up of Finnish heritage, so when he graduated from high school, he went off to Finland to go to Bible college. And while he was there, he made some trips into Russia. Russia captured his heart. A young lady in Russia called Laura captured his heart. And, um, and actually, there's, there's, there's quite a story. I've run out of books now, but uh, hopefully we're going to rewrite and, and, and so it'll be back on the market. But... Um, not on the market. We give them away. <laughs> but anyhow, um, uh, the book actually tells the story of how he got his wife out of Russia into Finland. By 1980, they're, they're in Finland and they're, they're starting to do uh, radio broadcasts on a cassette player in their little apartment in Finland uh, that they then gave to shortwave radio stations who then broadcast into Russia. It was all in the Russian language. His wife is, is, was born in Russian. Uh, born, born in Russia, and, and so they started doing these Russian broadcasts. Within five years, they were doing about 1,200 hours a year um, on Russian radio. And by then, at a staff of, staff of five, the ministry starts growing. God begins to open doors. CBN, uh, Pat Robertson, gives them two television cameras. Uh, and they're off to the races, starting to do television. Uh, by 1990, 91... They're, they're actually given free television time across the whole Soviet Union, all 11 time zones, free of charge, paid by the Russian government on state television. So it was an amazing opportunity. So they start doing television programming in Russia. And, and, and as they're doing this broadcasting, they put on a Superbook, which is a children's cartoon program that CBN actually developed. They took that little program and did a Russian voiceover with it, put it on television, didn't think too much about it. But in a month, they received over one million letters into their post office box in Russia. And that really put them on the map and gave them credibility in Russia. The ministry then took off from there, and just some amazing things have happened. Now, uh, one part of their ministry, they do radio and television in Russia and Ukraine and Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, and now in places like China, uh, 200 million homes, 500 million people are on the network that we're on in China, uh, in Iran, in Turkey, in, in Egypt, in some very, very dark places. Do you realize that there is actually... Uh, a revival going on in places like Iran, primarily through visions and dreams, as people, um, and I know this because my son actually worked in Pakistan teaching English for nine months, and he actually had this personal experience of having a young man come to him who, who came to him after ha having a dream during the night and said, said go to David Ogren and he'll tell you about me. And, and that's happening all over the world. 
And literally, we can document, the documented number is 100,000 the last couple of years have come to Christ in Iran, primarily through visions and dreams, and then confirmed by radio and television and the internet. We ourselves have, have two websites in the Arabic language. We have a man who heads up our Arabic division of ministry uh, from Egypt, and, 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 and he does all of our broadcasting in radio and television in the Arabic language, but also websites. And these two website sites get 100,000 hits a day. Uh, 75% of that is from the, from the Arabic world. And so it's just, just amazing uh, the opportunities of proclaiming the gospel in different ways. Well, that's all one side of the ministry, and, and, but a lot of other ministries are doing that. The other side of the ministry is something that not very many ministries are re- really doing. This started in 2003, and we began to go into megacities where we were invited by a significant group of evangelical churches. Usually it's 20 to 30 churches. Up to now we've done 15 cities. By the end of this year it'll be 18. God willing, next year we're going to do 20 to 30 cities all at the same time with these citywide multimedia campaigns. And I'll tell you how it works. We go in and gather the pastors who have invited us. They sign a contract saying they will work with us in this uh, campaign to reach people in their city. And then we have them make a list of 100 of the best testimonies from their region. Then we bring it down to 26 of the very most profound testimonies from their region. Some of them are just simple testimonies. Uh, an alcoholic, a local rock star, uh, a young mom on crack cocaine. Others are like a lieutenant colonel in the police department or like in, 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 uh, in Ukraine. One was uh, Miss Ukraine was one of the testimonies. Another was a young man who owned the largest uh, nightclub in, in, um, in Kiev uh, that was called Bingo's and he had come to Christ. So there's all different kinds of testimonies. And, and so we, we pull together these 26 testimonies and then our camera crews come in out of Finland and they do 15-minute documentaries on each one of these life stories. So, so each one of these life stories, all... All that's on the documentary is the life story, the person's life, and culminating in how they came to Christ and how Jesus Christ tra- transformed their life and a phone number. That's the only thing that's on these documentaries. Then we purchased state television time for a whole month. Not at 3 o'clock in the morning, but like in Kiev, it was 7.30 every night on the most powerful station in Kiev, Ukraine. That's the way it is in almost every city we, we, we are at. Either station number one or station number two. There's usually one, two, or three stations in the city. We usually get on one of those. And, and, and a program is on every night, prime time, simply another testimony proclaiming the power of the gospel. The other four nights of the month are Sundays. And on those nights, we have a one-hour call-in program where we, where we actually bring all the people that gave testimonies during the week. Now they're live in the studio. People can actually call in and ask their quest, them, them particular questions. Then we train people. We train 100 to 150 telephone counselors. We, we set up a call center that's operated 24-7 for the whole month. Then we actually print a book like this. This is a Ukrainian book, but we pr- print this with, with, with life stories in it right from that city. So every city gets its own book. Usually 50,000 copies of this book are printed for every city. And as you see, it has life stories in here, usually 10 of them, plus Campus Crusade for Christ follow-up materials. How to Receive Christ, First Steps of Faith. So this, this is actually taken, used as a manual to train the 900 to 1,000 people to go into homes, actually, that call into our call center 
to go into homes and, and begin to proclaim the gospel to people and lead them to Jesus. It's also used to give to every government official in the city. It's also given at special uh, uh, concerts and other uh, crusades that happen by the local churches following our time in the city. And then we advertise. We do 16 to 20 billboards all over the city. We do four to 500,000 brochures d- distributed door-to-door to every home in the city. We do full-page newspaper ads. We do hu- huge posters that are put up at every subway and every bus station. Basically, we're blasting the city with advertisement. Four to 500 radio and television spots in the city. And, and, and uh, the results are phenomenal. Just amazing. It starts out... The churches actually take particular areas of the city as a responsibility. They begin to pray, prayer walk those areas of the city and then they distribute the, the, the information concerning the 30-day outreach. We're seeing in every city we go to somewhere between 4,000 and 10,000 calls. We can document a minimum of 10% of those people who are calling in actually become first-time believers. Many others are returning to faith. Others are just interested and, and, and we have the opportunity of presenting the gospel to them. But in all these cities, we're seeing hundreds to thousands of people come to Christ. It's an amazing thing because these people are actually being assimilated into local churches and, and are being followed up by the local churches. In many of these cities, they're being followed up even up to 18 months later. This process is, is, is happening. In the city of Nizhny Novgorod, 7,000 phone calls in one month. The churches made 4,639 home visits. That was the first home visit. We always do up to three, minimally. We take the Jesus video to them for the second video, for the, for the second visit, and we invite them to a secular concert, excuse me, a Christian concert in a secular location for the third visit. And, and so by the time that happens, these people have heard the gospel usually at least four times. And usually by that, many of them are coming to Christ. In the city of Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, a very Islamic city, we saw literally 500 Islamic people come to Christ in the city of Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. It's just amazing, 300 of which have already been baptized in water. You'll see in the information sheet that I have out there, and I just encourage you to take a copy of this when you go. It gives information concerning our ministry. There's also a sign-up sheet if you'd like to receive... um, uh, uh, information on a monthly basis. All you have to do is sign up. We'll never ask you for money. All you get is information and that'll help us to know that some people are praying for our ministry. And we greatly appreciate that. So feel free to take that information with you tonight as you go. But th- this is this is one of those unique ministries that links media and local churches. I know very few in all the world that are doing that. And I'm so grateful as a as a, as a pastor, a pastor 35 years, to be a part of, of a ministry that's not only proclaiming the gospel, but also salvaging those who come to faith in Christ by discipleship. So we're going to show you a little DVD and let you actually see a little bit of what I've been just telling you about.
The central Russian megacity of Samara has been a target of perhaps the most intensive evangelistic campaign ever carried out in the history of that city. Founded in 1586, Samara is known as the city of the Volga River merchants. Under Soviet times, the city was closed to the outside world because of its military and space rocket industries. Today, the city has a population of 1.5 million people. Within the last few years, churches in Russia have seen their freedom to proclaim the gospel significantly diminish. Russia has gravitated towards ultranationalism and orthodoxy. The voice of the evangelizing church has been all but muted. Only a vapor of the freedoms enjoyed in the 1990s is left. Yet the living church is the only hope for the spiritual despair of the nation. Over 30 churches in Samara joined hands to reach 3.5 million people in Samara and its surrounding areas using television, radio and outdoor media. Thousands called the 24-7 call center. Among those who made commitments to Christ were students, pensioners, housewives, government employees, factory workers and the unemployed. As the Aeroflot Tupolev 154 aircraft approached the Samara International Airport, I could see thousands of apartment buildings, private homes, communal housing, log houses, structures that resembled no more than boarded shacks. These buildings housed 1.5 million residents of the city of Samara. Longtime residents, migrants, Russians, Ukrainians, Mordvins, Tatars, Central Asians. Every home either had a television set or a radio set or both. Initial contact with the church leaders of the city had ignited a vision to proclaim the gospel to every home and to every person in Samara over a 30-day period. The directors of the TV channel Rio, one of the TV stations used, stated that the ratings had soared for their channel as the campaign programs aired, not only in Samara but also in the city of Toliati, with a population of 1.2 million people, and Cezron with a population of 300,000. 26 carefully chosen dynamic life stories and locally produced by IRRTV camera crews formed the backbone of the multimedia saturation campaign. In addition, the programs were seen in hundreds of villages and townships between the three mentioned cities. The total viewing audience was estimated to have peaked at 4 million people, cumulatively speaking, throughout the campaign. The campaign was not limited only to television. Other media were also used. 560 TV and radio spots aired on major channels, which were otherwise closed to programs of Christian content. Evangelistic radio programs, including local stories of changed lives on two major FM stations, aired throughout the campaign. 16 full-size 6 meters by 3 meters billboards consisting of three portraits and slogans on a dramatic life change appeared throughout the city. The slogans read, God destroyed the curse in our family. God freed me from heroin. Seeking riches almost destroyed me, but God saved my life. In addition, three giant video screens, 10 by 10 meters in centrally located spots in the city at three-minute intervals declared that God gives you the power to change. 300,000 campaign leaflets and brochures were delivered to 300,000 homes by hundreds of church volunteers. 1,400 posters, one meter high, went up across the city. 
50,000 tailor-made, highly evangelistic, poverty-changed campaign books were delivered to friends and neighbors at special events and campaign services, and also through the hotline service. Nine hundred believers in the city attended up to 30 hours of training and counseling and outreach for the campaign. Training was designed for pastors, telephone counselors, special representatives assisting in home visits. The call center logged over 5,000 calls. Callers ranged from children to teens to adults to pensioners. Each caller was counseled on the phone and then by campaign courier was sent a power to change book with testimonies, the plan of salvation and a guide to the first steps in faith. As calls from viewers also jammed the phone lines at the TV station, the management was appalled. Channel staff were heard wondering aloud, what is this all about? How could a Christian program draw such record response? TV viewers in Samara witnessed a spectacle when top rehab specialists and a doctor from the city joined IRR-TV staff in a discussion on live television on whether an alcoholic or drug addict can be healed of his addiction. 70% of young people in Samara use drugs and 40% of men struggle with alcohol. The medical specialists said they were not aware of a cure rate. Remission was a term they used. Addicts are deleted from the treatment lists only through death. Having said that, 20 people in the TV audience stood up testifying to total deliverance by faith in God, a true miracle. The doctors listened dumbfounded. One ex-addict turned toward the doctor and asked, Do you remember me? For 20 years I was one of your patients. I haven't touched alcohol in seven years. I was removed from your list two years ago. Testimony after testimony, stories of hope unfolded. The surprise of the specialists was almost embarrassing. Over 200 people have signed up for rehabilitation through the churches. At the farewell supper with the pastors of Samara's churches, one leader after another stood up telling how they now have new cells as a result of the campaign. There are 2,000 names and addresses that the churches now need to speedily process and follow up. The campaign is over for IRR-TV, but not the pastors of the city of Samara. Pastors have vowed to continue to capitalize on the opportunity for intensified ministry that the campaign has afforded them. The congregations will continue to hold special events throughout the city. Following up, the over 3,000 contacts who call the call center continues. So does the vision. Still to come is a special outreach to a boys' prison camp with 300 boys aged 13 to 18 serving sentences of up to eight years. Supervising Officer Colonel Moraev said that the boys need winter clothes and winter shoes, but these boys have never heard words such as I love you from a mother or a father. Our message to these forgotten youngsters will be, yes, somebody really does care. God loves you. And these gifts are a sign of God's love. And Jesus Christ gives you the power to change, and he gives you the power to start a brand new life. Who are these boys? They're some of the 18,000 boys and girls in 64 children's prison camps across Russia, rejected and forgotten by the outside world. They've never known the love of a mom or dad. They live behind concrete walls and barbed wire. They lack warm winter clothes and suffer from malnutrition. 
help IRRTV to deliver winter clothes, food, and God's love to Russia's children's prison camps. For these boys, there's no hope. They need a miracle. Your love is their miracle. Your gift of $20 feeds one child for two weeks. For $80, you can provide a child with warm winter clothes and a festive meal. Share Jesus Christ with a Russian child in prison through your love. Call now. Call toll-free 1-877-674-5630. Say children in prison. I know there's just lots and lots of wonderful ministries um, that are proclaiming the gospel around the world. But I would just ask you that um, when we come to mind, (laughs) you know, would you pray for us? Um, I'm just thrilled with, with the results of what's happening through this ministry around the world. Our latest outreach was to Israel, where we saw literally... 15,800 phone calls in a period of four months and uh, started with the Russian uh, community. There's 1.7 million Russian Jews in Israel. 20% of the population of Israel is now Russian and then moved from there to the Hebrew community and moved from there to the um, uh, Palestinian communities. And literally, uh, we did something like 140 billboards all over Israel uh, 10 Muslim newspapers, 76 city buses, four radio stations, and, and eight television stations, and was able to proclaim the gospel over the whole nation. It's never been done like this before on television. So um, they've invited us back. Um, we, we also received a number of very uh, threatening phone calls there to the people who gave testimonies, uh, very courageously allowed their face and their name to be out there, proclaiming that they are now followers of Jesus Christ. So uh, we just rejoice in the opportunity to join hands with these people. All right. Uh, what you just saw, as far as the boys, that's our, uh, that's our humanitarian outreach. We've um, been doing this for about five years, probably um, at a rate of about 400000 a year into these prisons. And we're investing in clothing and food directly into the prisons, right to the children, some of these kids haven't had underwear in five years. So this is just unbelievable need. The, the conditions are, are horrific. And, and through that means, we've been able to, uh, after we were doing that for a season, now they've opened the door for us to actually preach the gospel to these boys in prisons. Now it's gone a step further where we're actually able to connect a local church from that community, from the 64 communities where these prisons are at, with the prison and where they're actually able to go in and begin to mentor these kids in prison. So we're just grateful to be a part of that as well. Take your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 10, verses 33 to 35. And, and I'm going to just share with you probably about 20 minutes tonight. And um, uh, But I believe God has given me a word uh, for this house. It, hopefully it will be a word of encouragement to you tonight. Um, as it has been a word of encouragement to me. Numbers 10.33 They marched for three days after leaving the mountain of the Lord with the ark of the Lord's covenant 
moving ahead of them to show them where to stop and rest. As they moved on each day, the cloud of the Lord hovered over them. And whenever the ark set out, Moses would shout. Did you hear that? Whenever the ark set out, Moses would shout, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. And when the ark was set down, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. So, the book of Numbers is the book of wilderness journey. Uh, begins on Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula. Um, and every day when it was time to depart, every day they could count on it. I'm sure that some of the children would say, okay, let's just wait. We know exactly what Moses is going to say now. Because as, as, as the people began to gather to leave again, as they packed up all their tents and, and the tabernacle and, and they began to form between, be, behind the 12 banners of the tribes of Israel, as they were all out there, these 3 million people, and, and Moses is standing in front of them, every day he would say the same thing. He would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And so this became a part of Israeli tradition. This is something that became a part of the, of the, of the history of Israel. This, this passionate statement by Moses. Moses felt constrained to call this out in spite of the fact that God had already miraculously led them out of Egypt, out, out, out of Egypt. He had already, uh, proven himself faithful to them. He'd already provided abundantly for the three million people, uh, for daily food and daily provision. But, but, but every day, Moses would stand before the people and he would say, Arise. Now, this was a military term in the Hebrew. It literally meant to stand up in preparation to engage in battle. And he was literally saying, God, we need you to stand up. And we need you to engage in battle on our behalf. Without you, we can do nothing. I'm sure Moses felt that absolute sense of passionate dependence upon the presence of God. He desperately needed God every day. And so as he stood before these three million people every day, he would say, he would proclaim the same thing. Arise, O God. God, stand up and prepare yourself for battle. But because without you, nothing good is going to happen this day. And so Moses recognized how desperately he needed the intervention of God on a daily basis. In spite of all that God had done, in spite of all of the past victories, in spite of all of the the miracles of yesterday, and how many can say God has done something good for me already? Huh? In your life. Yeah, most of us can say that tonight. And the reality is, I, I can say that right along with you tonight. God has done great things. But I, I recognize as well that there are those areas every day we are facing areas where we need God to stand up. I think one of the weaknesses in American society is that we become pretty self-sufficient. And, you know, I mean, as long as the as long as, as, as the salary keeps coming in, as, as long as the grocery stores still have groceries, as long as we're still able to pay the bills, as long as we're still able to pay the mortgage, as, as, as long as we're able to pay the car payment, you know, all this stuff, you know, as long as we're able to do all that, we feel pretty self-sufficient. But how many know all, all that changes kind of like that when, when, when all that shuts off all of a sudden? 
you know, and, and, and you guys have experienced earthquakes here. We've experienced them in Seattle. That, that helpless feeling of realizing, hey, you know, we are not really in control here, huh? You know, I, I remember 1996, uh, uh, sitting in my office at Philadelphia Church in Seattle counseling somebody and, and all of a sudden, uh, the pictures started going like this and, uh, and everything started moving and, and, uh, I don't know if I did the right thing or not, but I stepped into the, in the, underneath the door casing. After that, I heard you're not supposed to do that anymore. They used to tell us to do that. Uh, but, but you know, there's, there's that real feeling that, boy, we are not in charge here. We are not in control. And, and, and Moses remind himself of that every day. Every day. I am not in charge. Every day. I cannot do this on my own. Every day. Oh God, I desperately need you to stand up. And I believe that if we lived every day with a sense of desperate, passionate dependence upon the presence of God, it would change a lot of things about our life. It would change a lot of things about how we live and how we respond and how sensitive we are to the voice of the Spirit of God. Years later, David now is Saul's replacement as king. And it's interesting to me how often David repeated this affirmation of Moses. He repeated this affirmation of Moses because, as you know, not only were, were there written records of what had, been, what had happened down through uh, the history of Israel, but it was also verbally passed down from one generation to another. And as they sat around campfires at night, they would often tell stories about Moses and about Abraham and about some of their forefathers. And I'm sure the story of Moses was told over and over again concerning how he would stand before Israel and every day proclaim Arise, O Lord. So it's not surprising that three times in the Psalms, Psalm chapter 3 and verse 7, Psalm chapter 9 and verse 19, Psalm chapter 68 and verse 1, we see David proclaiming exactly the same words, Arise, O Lord. How desperately I need you to stand alongside of me in my work, in my calling, as king. He too was a man that had discovered how much he needed God to stand up. He too was a man who realized how much he needed God to engage in battle, to manifest God's grace and God's power. This is bigger than us. Our resources are not sufficient. Our strength is not enough. Our wisdom does not meet the need. How many can relate to that? Huh? Yeah, I can relate to that as well. For David, we don't know when it started. We don't know if it started for him personally when he faced the lion and the bear. We don't know if it, if it, if it started when he first faced Goliath. It could have started there for him as all of this flooded back to his memory. All of these stories of his childhood when, when Moses would say, Arise, O God. Goliath stood nine feet, nine inches tall in his stocking feet. Wore 125 pounds of body armor. Daily he was going before Israel and, 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 and booming out his voice, give me a man, let us fight. And the Israelites knew they were absolutely no match. And you know the story. And by the way, there probably is not a person in this room that's not familiar with Goliaths. Goliaths that intimidate. Goliaths that get in your face and speak loudly. Those Goliaths where you realize that you are no match for this Goliath. It may be the roar of the Goliath of abandonment or of depression or of abuse 
or of pornography or of disappointment or of whiskey you can't refuse or a past you can't shake or a future you can't face or a situation you can't change or a condition you can't heal. Those are all helpless feelings. And many of us have been there. A good friend of mine, his name is Bill, lives in Minnesota, been a pastor, started attending my church in Minnesota. I didn't know he was a pastor. But one day Bill came to me and, uh, well, first of all, when Bill started coming, I just kind of felt impressed that I was going to go visit him. He'd walk in, he and his wife Mary would walk into service and walk right out. Kind of cold, kind of indifferent. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to let him get by with this. So I started visiting him. He had his own personal business. I started visiting him at his place of business. And, you know, at first he was very distant and cold, but I just kept it up. Over, over time, I won his friendship. One day he came into my office and he said, Dave, can we shut the door? I want to talk to you about something. And he, he shut the door and I said, sure, sit down, Bill. He said, I want to share with you something that nobody else in all the world knows. He says, I've dealt with pornography for 40 years. He said, my grandfather introduced me to pornography as an eight-year-old boy. He said, ever since then, I've been hooked. My wife doesn't know. My children don't know. You know, I went through Bible college, North Central Bible College in, in Minneapolis. I, I was a pastor. He, 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 he was an anointed singer and evangelist. Spoke in tongues. Prophesied. But he had this hidden issue in his life. Nobody knew. He said, can you help me? And I just started laughing. Because I said, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I can help you. But listen, I am willing to walk with you. And so we began a process. And there would be times Bill would call me and say, Dave, can I come to your office? And i say, sure, come right now. And he'd, and he'd, and he'd come walking in my office, literally sweating under, under tremendous temptation, saying, you know, I just feel so Im- impelled towards this sin. Just pray with me. And, and we'd pray and it lift. And we did that over and over and over again. But he just kept kept at it. He did not use the words, arise, O Lord, but he prayed that concept in his life over and over. He was diligent. He just would not give up. And one night, probably a year later, he is in a motel, a hotel, expensive hotel, downtown Minneapolis with his wife. He's on the floor crying out to God again, saying, God, I just want to be totally free from this thing. By that time, he shared with his wife and I counseled them together and we prayed together. So there was a sense of unity there between them as husband and wife. And Mary was a real sweetheart and a real sweetheart and just hung in there with him. And as he began to pray and cry out to God all over again, all of a sudden he had a vision. And in this vision, he saw an axe falling out of the sky. And as this axe fell out of the sky, it came and it landed with a thud upon the, upon the root of a huge oak tree. And as it hit this huge root of this oak tree, all of a sudden he saw this huge oak tree just go you know, just totally fell over and as that oak tree fell over instantaneously, he was set free by the power of God and that was probably 12 years ago and I was just recently in Minnesota and stayed with Bill and Mary in their home and he is still free to this day why? because he was diligent It's not the words, but it's the concept. Arise, O God. 
I can't do this on my own. You have to help me. I can't stand against this by myself. And that's exactly what David did. Now, did he do it with Goliath? I don't know. It very well could have been. (laughs) My imagination works like this. I almost see him as he's picking the five stones out of the brook and he's down on his knees and and, and there could have been one of the Israelis standing next to him and he's picking the the five brooks out. He, he I can see him talking to himself and the guy says, hey, what are you, what are you saying? I can almost hear him say, I'm saying, arise, O Lord. <laughs> God, arise, O Lord. I, I can't do this. I can't do this by myself. I'm sharing this message with you not as a message, but as a personal journey. There's been issues in my life, in our family. There's issues we face right now, that we're facing right now. My four-year-old granddaughter, Melissa, is facing major hip surgery, double hip surgery. At four years of age, she can't yet walk fully on her own. And, and, and she's going to be at Children's Hospital in Seattle on, the, on September 18th having major hip surgery. And, and you better believe every day I'm crying out to God and saying, Lord, will you please arise on Melissa's behalf and allow her to run and not be weary and walk and not faint. And you all can relate to that, see. You all can relate to that because we all know the pain of issues that are beyond our control. Things that call, that, 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 that would cause us to cry out to God. And I want to encourage you today to continue to do it. Why? Because I can prove to you that God responds to people who begin to cry out to Him and to say, Arise, O God! And again, you don't have to use those words. I tend to because it's just an easy phrase for me to remember. But, but, but you can use uh, any words you want. It's, it, it's the concept of, of recognizing your absolute passionate dependence upon the presence of God. Second Chronicles chapter 6, and with this I'm done. David's dead. His son Solomon has uh, just built the temple. It's a time of excitement. David had provided so much of, of the goods and the funds and all that was necessary to do it. David couldn't do it because so much blood was on his hands. But God allowed his son Solomon to build the temple. And so here he is at the dedication of the temple. And Second Chronicles chapter 5 begins the process of describing this time of dedication. And in chapter 6, um, In verse 7, it says, Then Solomon said, My father David wanted to build this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord told him, You wanted to build the temple to honor my name. Your intention is good, but you are not the one to do it. One of your own sons will build the temple to honor me. Now the Lord has fulfilled the promise he made, for I have become king in my father's place. And now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. I have built this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Then I have placed the ark, which contains the covenant that the Lord made with the people of Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel and he lifted his hands in prayer. That's verse 12. The whole chapter of chapter 6 is all the prayer of Solomon. And I want want you to hear the end of his prayer in verse 40. Oh my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to all the prayers made to you in this place. And now, arise, O oh God. 
<laughs> Don't you love that? Oh, it was giving me goosebumps. All right, here Moses. Now David. Now Solomon. He knew it. He knew it worked. I don't know how he knew it worked. He knew it worked for Moses. He knew it worked somehow for his dad. I don't know if it was the, the Goliath experience or not, but it worked for dad. And so here he is. He's standing in the presence of God. This is a high and holy moment. And what does he say? He says, Arise, O God. And when Solomon finished praying, chapter 7, fire flashed down from heaven, burnt up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. The glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell down on the ground and worshipped and praised the Lord saying, He is good. His faithful love and mercy endures forever. Arise, O Lord. I tonight just want to put something in your hands. Put Put a little tool in your hands. A prayer tool in your hands. If you haven't experienced it yet, you're going to experience it. Situations that are beyond your control. Situations that grieve your heart. Situations that you would love to change by your own power, but you can't do that. When you and I face those situations, how wonderful it is. We can turn to our Heavenly Father and we could say, as you did for Moses, as you did for David, as you did for Solomon, I'm crying out to you myself tonight. And I'm saying, Oh God, will you do it again? Will you arise? Will you stand up and battle on our behalf? Will you do what we can't do? Will you make a way where there seems to be no way? Will you bring your grace, your healing, your power, your provision, your open door, whatever it needs to be? And God will be faithful to do that for you. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads with me in prayer as we close tonight. I thank you, God, that we can cry unto you. I thank you, Lord, that it's not just some kind of spiritual exercise. It's not just some kind of words that we're saying. But I am so grateful, God, that you respond to our passionate cry to you, our passionate, dependent cry to you that says, Oh, God, we cannot do this. It is not by might. It is not by power. It is only by your spirit. God, I need your intervention even tonight in the name of Jesus. And I am coming to you with a sense of faith and expectation that God, you will arise and you will show your arms strong. I just want you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Would you just say with me tonight, arise, O God. Just say it again. Arise, O God. Now say it as a prayer. Arise, O oh God. Arise, O oh God. If you're here tonight and you're facing something this evening, it's bigger than you. It's more powerful than you. It's a Goliath in your life. It intimidates you. And you need God to arise. Maybe for you, it may be for a family member. 
maybe for another situation, but you need God to arise. I just want you to stand where you're at as just a bold statement. God, I am proclaiming to you. I will keep calling. I will keep crying. I will keep lifting my voice to you. I will keep saying, God, arise until I see the arm of God stretch forth in power on the behalf of the situation that I am praying for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, just those of you that are, that are standing, just, just begin to call upon the name of the Lord right, right where you're at. Just, just begin to lift your voice. Come on. Come on. Lift your voice. Get bold. Get bold. Don't, don't be hesitant. Moses wasn't bold. David wasn't bold. Solomon, Sol- Solomon was bold. They were all bold. They were all, they were all proclaiming loudly, Arise, O God. Hallelujah. Oh God, arise! Arise, oh God! Arise on our behalf, oh God! Arise on our behalf, oh God! Show your arms strong, Lord! Pour your spirit, Lord, out! Do what we can't do, Lord! We look to you with faith and confidence, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
I want you to be here. Amen. As we bring ourselves together here, teaching that 645, flourishing that 645, no limitations. You can sneak into both if you want. <laughs> and uh, and these also have you come and share with the uh, Thursday morning breakfast cell at the Lumberjack restaurant. That's next Sunday too. with them, and you heard the, you know, Billy Aldwell preach the gospel, and you're committed to that, and you want to link hearts, as Jesus said, where your uh, treasure is, that's where your heart will be, so if you want to sow a little of your treasure into IRRTV and link your heart that way, you can do it through one of the envelopes that's in the chairs or on the wall, or if they're in the boxes on the back, you can actually look it up in BBCC for the church, and just put IRRTV in the, in the memo, and everything will be part, but go straight to the Sign up on the, the monthly information in the mail. That's <coughs> 